Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 23, verses 1 through 5. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields, and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do you that which is unlawful to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus, answering them, said, Have you not read so much as this, what David did, when he himself was a hungered, and they which were with him, how he went into the house of God, and did take and eat the showbread, and gave also to them that were with him, which it is not lawful to eat, but for the priests alone? And he said unto them, That the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Burkett Notes In the former part of this chapter, we find our blessed Savior defending his disciples from the clamorous accusations of the Pharisee for breaking the Sabbath day, because they plucked the ears of corn and rubbed them in their hands in order to satisfy their hunger. Where note, one, the great poverty, the lowest state and condition of Christ's own disciples in the world, they wanted bread and were forced to pluck the ears of corn to satisfy their hunger. God may, and sometimes does, suffer his dearest children to fall into straits and to taste of want for the trial of their faith and dependence upon his power and goodness. Note, too, how the hypocritical Pharisees blame this action of the disciples, namely, their plucking off the ears of corn, yet they did not charge them with theft for doing so, because to take in our great necessity so much of our neighbor's goods as we may reasonably suppose that, if he were present, and knew our circumstances, he would not deny us, is no theft. But it was the servile labor on the Sabbath, in gathering the ears of corn, which the Pharisees scruple and object against. Where note how hypocrites expend their zeal in and upon the lesser things of the law, whilst they neglect the greater, placing all holiness in the observation of the outward ceremonies, while they neglect moral duties. Note 3, the argument with which our Savior defends this action of his disciples. It is taken from the example of David. Necessity freed him from fault and blame and eating the consecrated bread, which none but the priests might lawfully eat. For in case of necessity, a ceremonial precept must give place to a moral duty. Works of mercy for the preserving our lives and the better fitting us for Sabbath services are certainly lawful on the Sabbath day. Note lastly, the argument which our Savior uses to prove the Sabbath observation may be dispensed with in a case of absolute necessity, and that is drawn from that authority which Christ, the institutor and Lord of the Sabbath, had over it. The Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. That is, he has authority and power as God and as mediator to institute and appoint a Sabbath, to alter and change it, to dispense with a breach of it upon a just and great occasion, and consequently, acts of mercy which tend to fit us for works of piety, not only may, but ought to be done on the Sabbath day. This action of the disciples, being of that nature, is without just cause censured and condemned by the Pharisee, a sort of men who were resolved to cavil at and quarrel with whatever our Savior or his disciples either did or said. Verses 6 through 11. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught, And there was a man whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts, and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then Jesus said unto them, 
I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? And looking around about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness, and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Burkett notes, Observe here, 1. The miraculous cure which our Savior wrought upon the man which had the withered hand. And 2. The effect which this miracle had upon the wicked Pharisees. In the former, note, the place where our Savior wrought this miracle, in the synagogue, the time when, on the Sabbath day, the manner how, by speaking of a word, the persons before whom, namely the envious and malicious Pharisees, these men were always slandering Christ's doctrine and cavailing at his miracles. Yet does our holy Lord go on with the work before their faces without discouragement. Learn thence that the unjust censures and malicious cavails of wicked men against us for well-doing must not discourage us from doing our duty, either toward God or towards our neighbor. Although the Pharisees watched our Savior wherever he went, and when they could find no occasion of quarrel, would invent and make one, yet such was our Lord's courage and resolution that he bids the man that had the weathered hand stand forth, to show that he was resolved to heal him, notwithstanding their malicious purpose to accuse him for it as a breaker of the Sabbath. Opposition met with in doing our duty must not discourage us from doing good if we follow the example of our blessed Redeemer. Observe, too, the influence and effect which this miracle had upon the wicked Pharisees. They were filled with madness and took counsel to kill him. Instead of being convinced by this miracle, they conspire against him for it. The enemies of Christ and his holy religion, when arguments fail, fall to violence. It is a certain sign of a weak cause that must be supported by passion which is all tongue and no ear. Verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Burkett notes, Observe here, 1. The duty which our Holy Lord performed, the duty of prayer. We have much more business with God in prayer than Christ had. He had no sins to confess, no want of grace to make known. Yet did our Lord spend much time, even a whole night, in this duty. Lord, what delight didst thou take in paying this homage to thy heavenly Father? Oh, how doth thy zeal and forwardness condemn our remissness and lukewarmness? Observe, too, it was a solitary prayer that our Lord did so exceedingly delight in. He went into the mountain alone to pray, not suffering his very disciples to be with him. There are times and seasons when a Christian would not be willing that his dearest relation upon earth should hear that intercourse which passes betwixt him and his God. Observe 3. The place which our Lord withdraws to for privacy and prayer. He went into a mountain, a place of retiredness. God delights to meet his children alone. The modest bridegroom of the church, says St. Bernard, will not impart himself to his spouse before company. Observe 4. The time when Christ retired into the mountain to pray and to spend a whole night in prayer to God. If we look back to the former part of the chapter, we shall find that this was at a time when the Pharisees were filled with rage and madness against him and conspired to take away his life. Thence learn that it is our duty at such times, especially when enemies lie in wait to do us hurt, to give ourselves much unto prayer. Again, if we look forward, the next verse tells us that our Savior was now about to send forth his twelve disciples to preach and propagate the gospel. Christ thought so great a work was not to be done without solemn and extraordinary prayer. 
Accordingly, he spends a whole night in prayer to God upon that occasion, leaving herein a most instructive example to his church, to continue with prayer at all time, but then especially to abound in it when persons are to be set apart for the momentous work of the ministry, that they enterprise it with extraordinary dread and caution, not with aspiring but tremendous thought, for who is sufficient for these things? Verses 13 to 16. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphas, and Simon called Zealot, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which was also the traitor. Burkett notes, As the Jewish church arose from twelve patriarchs, so the Christian church became planted by twelve apostles. The person sending them forth was Christ. None may undertake the work and calling of the ministry but those whom Christ appoints and calls, not immediately by himself, but immediately by the governors of his church. The persons commissioned were disciples before they were apostles, to teach us that Christ will have such as preach the gospel to be disciples before their ministers, trained up in the faith and doctrine of the gospel before they undertake a public charge. Observe next how carefully the names of the twelve apostles, those laborious persons in the service of souls, are recorded and transmitted with honor to posterity. God will signally honor those who singularly honor him and are the special instruments of his glory. Of the twelve apostles, Peter is named first and Judas last. Peter is first named because probably elder than the rest, or because for order's sake he might speak before the rest. From whence may be inferred a primacy, but no supremacy, a priority of order, but no superiority of degree. As a foreman of a grand jury has precedency, but no preeminency. He is first in order before the rest, but has no authority over the rest. Neither did St. Peter ever assume to himself a power of deciding controversies. But we find St. James, in the first general council mentioned, Acts 15.3, speaking somewhat definitely, Thus I judge, or determine the matter, and yet St. Peter was then and there present. Had the champions of the Church of Rome such a passage in all the scriptures for St. Peter's authority, it would make a louder noise than feed my sheep. John 21.16 Again, as St. Peter is named first, so Judas is mentioned last, with a brand of infamy upon him, the traitor, the person that betrayed his Lord and Master. From whence we may gather that though the truth of grace be absolutely necessary to a minister's salvation, yet the want of it doth not disannul his office, nor hinder the lawfulness of his ministry. Judas, though a traitor, was yet a lawful minister. And a heart hypocrite is no hypocrite before the church, though he should be damned for his hypocrisy before God. Verses 17 through 19. And he came down with them and stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirit, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, the great zeal and forwardness of the people in attending upon our Savior's ministry. He had newly begun to preach in this place, 
and the people flock after him from all parts, from Judea, from Jerusalem, from Tyre and Sidon, to hear his doctrine and see his miracles. When our Savior first began to preach, the people came unto him from every quarter. His ministers find it thus. At our first coming among a people, our labors are most acceptable, and they do most good. Our people's affections are then warm, and perhaps our own too. Two, what sort of people they were who attended thus zealously on our Savior's ministry. They were the common and ordinary people. The poor received the gospel. The learned scribes, the knowing Pharisees, those wise men after the flesh, the mighty, the noble, the great and honorable, these despised our Savior's person, slighted his ministry, yea, sought to take away his life. Thus, from the first plantation of the gospel to this day, the poorer and meaner sorts of people have entertained the glad tidings of salvation. It is a sad but a certain truth that heaven is a place where few, comparatively but very few, of the great men of the world are like to come. Their temptations are many, their corruptions strong, and their great estates, through their own abuse, become fuels to their lust. Lord, how rare it is to find those that are eminently great, exemplarily good. Observe 3. The nature of our Savior's miracles. Moses' miracles were as great judgments as wonders, but Christ's miracles were as great mercies as wonders. They were salubrious and healing. There went virtue out of him and healed them all. Christ's miracles were like the author of them, full of goodness, yet would not the obstinate Pharisees be convinced either of the goodness that was in them or by that omnipotent power which had wrought them. All our Savior's miracles were wonderful, but wonders of love and mercy. Verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Burkett notes, As our Savior's condition in this world was very poor, so was his disciples' condition also. Therefore, to relieve them against their poverty and low estate in the world, he thus bespeaks them, Blessed be ye poor. You that believe in me and follow me are in a happier condition than those that are rich and have received their consolation. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Christ was the poor man's preacher and the poor man's comforter. Yet a bare outward poverty or an avowed voluntary poverty will entitle none to the blessing. It is not a poverty of possession, but a poverty of spirit that makes us members of the kingdom of grace and heirs of the kingdom of glory. Verse 21. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Burkett notes. Hunger and thirst are not blessings in themselves, nor yet are they curses in themselves. Sanctified hunger is a far greater blessing than surfeiting fullness. St. Matthew therefore adds, chapter 5, 6, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Learn hence, 1, that such as spiritually hunger and thirst after Christ and his righteousness are certainly in a happy and blessed condition. 1, that the happiness of those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness consists of being filled. Blessed are they that shall weep now, for ye shall laugh. As if Christ had said, You, my disciples, that are now in a sad, mournful, and afflicted state, are blessed. For there will come a time when ye shall be comforted, a time when God shall wipe away all tears from your eyes. Yet we must not think that we have nothing to do but to mourn. There is a time to rejoice as well as to mourn. Not that bare mourning and weeping in itself, and for its own sake, is acceptable unto God, 
But when we mourn rationally for our sins and the sins of others, God will comfort us in this world by his word and spirit, and in the world to come with the sight of himself. Verses 22 and 23. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Roquette notes, Observe here the sufferers described, the disciples, and their sufferings foretold. Ye shall be hated, separated, and reproached. Hatred of Christ's disciples is the bitter root from which persecution grows. Where there is hatred in the heart, no wonder that reviling is in the lip. And as the disciples of Christ then were for his sake hated, reproached, and cast out of the Jewish church, so now such disciples as will cordially embrace and steadfastly hold fast the faith delivered by our Savior must expect and prepare for hatred and persecution, to be separated from civil society, excommunicated from church fellowship, and all this by them who shall call themselves the guides and governors of an infallible church.